Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to Season 4 and the 86th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. The month of January was our first return to North America since the pandemic. Brent Robinson, Jeffrey Lither, and myself were speakers at the Safety 2 and Application Conference that was held in Tampa, Florida, where we met up with many good friends and Safety Differently colleagues. New friendships were made and it was so wonderful to hear how far we have progressed. I was privileged to spend the weekend at Todd's Place in Santa Fe, New Mexico with Brent Robinson. The Mexican food flowed freely, and it was lovely to finally meet in person Martha Acosta. We then travelled to Vancouver, which was the first time that I had ever visited Canada, and all I can say is, wow. I was blown away by the warmth and generosity of my Commonwealth brothers and sisters. We had a great three days with about 120 people wanting to make a difference. We concluded our tour with the Vancouver Safety Differently Book Club before heading to California for two days of rest before heading home. I was able to convince Jeff to participate in a podcast to reflect on the tour, the highlights, our learnings and reflections. So please sit back and enjoy this episode of the pod with Jeffrey Liff Brent Robinson and myself and also please look to the show notes for the dates of our next North American tour in late April and early May 2023. You guys are alive. Yeah, how are you feeling? How am I feeling? Yeah. Oh, recovering. It's good after a couple more days of sobriety and clean food and Sleeping. Bubble baths, bubble baths, I believe, is your cleanser. I, uh, yeah, bubble baths are kind of my secret thing. I guess they're not <laughs> secret anymore. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. There was a there was a bit of time there where where I would be uh, in having a tub and and uh, my phone would ring and and uh, I think. You're a couple of mid pandemic. I think Todd called a couple times when I was in the tub, and I swear to God, he was texting Vanessa, or Vanessa would text him and say, Okay, he's in the tub, call him, call him. <laughs> so, well, so it's where you do all your best thinking. Well, yeah, everybody has a place, huh? Everybody, I guess, has a happy place to think. It's we've had a lot to think about. I mean, I don't know how you guys are feeling. It's been, it's going to take a while to soak on everything we've, uh, just been through well hence the reason um of getting the uh three trojan mouseketeers back together <laughs> having spent you know a week uh with uh tampa at st petersburg with the safety to an application conference and then a wonderful week in vancouver with an amazing group of people so it was a great chance for us to do a reflection and share with our listeners and even tempt them that we might be doing, you know, hopefully, if all goes to plan, we'll do this again in May. 
and keep the messaging going. Shall we do a round robin on highlights? Oh, God. Can I go last? I can try no, to just, just try to say ditto. I can get some dittos in. Is, is, that, is that what you'd say at high school? Can I go last, please, miss? Is that the... No, I was a nervous student. I'd always want to go first and get it over with. <laughs> but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> shall we start with safety to an application conference? Theme. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the I think my first comment was, uh, if we earned a dollar for every time the word learning teams was used, we would have been very rich people. Because there were constantly yeah. learning teams, learning teams, learning teams, learning teams. And then every other word was learning from everyday work, learning from everyday work, learning from normal work. Yeah, I think it, it was a really interesting view around how it's moved around to learning teams and and the how and the when now and not so much the um the what and i think that that's the first time it's really started to make that difference you know in a lot of respects it was uh it was an incredible coming together um you know i think we Early in the pandemic, we talked about what effect it was going to have and how people were going to adapt. And um, and this is this 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 January, this month, getting together, managing the risk, and getting together in person uh, was an interesting reflection on that. Um, uh, meeting some of the old old some of the uh, gurus that have been around for a while. Meeting some of the new emerging gurus that have been. Uh, online that we know from online and it feels like we know them already when we meet but yeah advancements in the thinking um that that a better way to learn or 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 rich contextual learning on the other side of human error on the other side of the attribution of human error and then not waiting for things to go wrong but looking at normal work and everyday work or work that goes well these are things that have been spoken of for you know decades in this in this space but it, it just feels like it's now is the time now is the readiest more than ever before um i think that was rarefied air florida i think i mean just people coming from all over the world to be part of such a special gathering it was really a profound check-in at a very very high level um but everybody both in florida and in vancouver i think everybody has had a, a an experience with systems being stressed and brittle uh, if you've been a patient or if you've been trying to get anywhere in an airplane uh, over the last few months, you know, you experience these symptoms. And then I think with people, we all know that we're tired and stressed and and imperfect and and we're trying to cope. And, and it's interesting how there's a bit of a polarization between to empathy or not to empathy, you know, with your fellow people. But regardless, I think the relationship between people and systems in 2023 and beyond, it's it's just... It's just time, and it was it was a profound gathering. Yeah, I think that became clear, Jeff, particularly during the workshops in Vancouver. Um, you know, we talk a lot about caring, um, but you know, that group really said to us that you know, our learning teams or learning from everyday work is really a good way to operationalize caring, because there's caring, obviously, you know, us as individuals when we have exchanges with people. But 
you know, to 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 pull that together within a um, a frame like that, I think that was super powerful. So, you know, we, we talk about a lot about you know systems are brittle, but I think the key thing here and about not blaming, but the whole caring thing is really coming in strong. For for me, the highlight for me was seeing Eric and seeing Eric um, with such a great sense of humor as well. It was really, really marvelous. And his his message is as strong as it ever was, but I, I agree with what you're saying. It's like a coming of age. This is no longer like at that sort of early cycle innovation. This is now becoming more mainstream. By necessity. Uh, yeah. To some degree. <laughs> Yeah, and we also, we had half, at St. Petersburg, we had half industrial, half healthcare. Really interesting, those different lines of messaging. Yeah, I think I think that what I liked, and I think it aligns with what we're doing, is that particularly with the medical people in St. Petersburg, is that they are experimenting. And they're looking at how they can use learning teams to experiment with their simulations. And, you know, they're a long way down that path. But I think what we've been seeing is, you know, we're already starting to use AR in the industrial and construction sectors to try and further those conversations way ahead of getting to the front line, but doing it with the front line. And I think that's important. So I think we're on the same journey. They're much more technically focused about the human um, outcome where we're trying to do it from a performance and um, safety perspective, but it's still the same. We're on the same path, which I thought was really interesting. And I agree with you, Brent, that I think Eric was the highlight there. He, that dry sense of humor of his uh, certainly got to everybody. As I had the honor of, uh, of chaperoning uh eric and katya uh through the week um it was wonderful um the, he's been so generous and and taught so much in uh in the time we spent together over the years it was it was great too so great i think to you know you. big big thanks to the organizing committee so we had tom mcdaniels we had don chabrick jones there was yourself jeff we had was it who else was on the organizing committee? We had Angela Green. Uh, a number of folks, a number of folks were uh, uh, really contributed, um, but those are the key. Those are definitely the key folks. And, and it was, they did an amazing job, just an incredible job. Absolutely. And, and look, being able to deliver those pre-conference workshops on learning teams was, was great. I think it was well, well received by the, other groups of people with a bit of Canadian, Australian and Kiwi humour merged in. <laughs> and then we had those little fireside chats for those that wanted it in the breakout rooms. And then we sort of, you know, wrapped up just before Todd delivered us the final keynote to wrap it up. We're able to, um, you know, have a chat with people about how we've been able to operationalise learning from everyday work with the, with the four Ds. And, and I think that really resonated. I know it's I know it's hard for people to think that such a uh, a simplistic use of four Ds, dumb, dangerous, difficult, different, how that stimulates such different conversations 
to around those frontline insights. Yeah, I was, I kind of thought that we know not to try to make complexity simple. We know to try to make complexity more transparent, but our means of making complexity more transparent need not be complex. The, the means of making complexity more transparent themselves can be simple. Yeah, I think, once again, there's this automatic response that, that people think that the frontline workers are just happy to speak up. Well, the systems they've come from have never encouraged speaking up. The systems have said, you know, reporting, you know, the systems are very much have treated them in that deficit model. But this, these, th that, those internal systems you're discussing, those systems internal to organizations, I think they are uh, uh, internalizations of, of the external systems and safety. And what was really apparent to me was the industrial organizations that are, are committed enough to the exploration or curious enough to the exploration to, to travel all the way to Florida to attend something like that. And then the difference coming back to the a, a more regional audience, um, I found that the, there was a different perspective on on uh, those those companies and their relationship with the regulator or, or regulatory influence. I, I felt down in Florida, there were some that whether it's in their management system complexity, how they pursue environmental standards or exceed environmental standards, or, or just how they view the regulator and a willingness to exceed what regulators dictate or specify. And coming back here to a more regional audience, I understand it, but that, that internalization of the regulatory paradigm was really palpable. That um, part of the conversation was waiting for the regulator to understand what we're talking about and, and put it into legislation. I mean, that'll like be the last penny to drop in this whole movement. And by the time that happens, there'll be a million other things that we ought to have moved on to. So that I find really fascinating. And what I've been thinking about this morning was advancements in sports. Uh, yeah, we, we use this, you know, the sports versus sports team versus the league and the officials uh, example in, in, in training. And I, and I think about how sports advanced the first alley-oop in basketball or something like that, that the, you know, the rules didn't say, you know, thou can alley-oop. They, they, you know, it was just done as a means to pursue performance and, and it was within parameters. So I think, I think that's a really interesting thing. As individuals, we try to take a more empathetic stand with, with each other in the world today, but there's some people out there that really struggle with that because they're so stressed and they take a more aggressive stand with other people in the world today. Um, so that might be us as individuals, but organizations, I think, have a choice to adapt or to double down on on what was, and um, and I think when they choose to adapt and, and get into a performance mindset, they realize that uh, it, if they're waiting for permission, uh, it's going to be too little, too late, and that uh, we have to we have to we have to make these changes because of our read on the world and our workers and the work we do, uh, and know that. Uh, there's better ways of achieving the intent regulation. Yeah. And, and I think that's why the that, that notion of yours, Jeff, that whole Trojan mouse um, really worked, resonated with people across because, you know, we, we, we want leaders to be curious, but, but also leaders need to see the value 
in this um, because it doesn't matter what we say, we'll never be able to prove, um, you know, the absence of harm, if that makes sense. So, so, so if we if we shift that dial, so that they can see the value in operational excellence, if they can shift that dial, if if we reduce the risk of exposure to a hazard in one area, reducing that risk must bring about operational change, and that operational change must be measurable. I think that's an excellent point. And again, we've been talking about uh, simple reversible experiments or small rebellious acts for, yeah. for a long time, you know. But uh, I think part of it, going back to the regulatory influence discussion, I think that I think that um, if people are are looking at these things as the silver bullet or the ultimate Teflon or something like that, I mean, that's not the right way to think about it either. That the nature of the regulatory landscape is that they can come after the fact guilty till proven innocent by our general duties and then and then determine that uh guilt by by with counterfactual reasoning what it should have could have and that that is always going to happen it's like shooting fish in the barrel we have to play a different game you know and yeah. i think many organizations are, are really wanting to do that now and and brent to your trojan mouse piece i have to thank you guys for the wonderful uh josh bryant um right incredible so so trojan mice he josh has proved that uh there are hundreds of potential trojan mice and he's gone so far as to list them so i have to say that was a personal highlight of vancouver was was having a special not just you special guests in person of course but but that little surprise uh industry um you know visit was was really great but yeah I, I think I was surprised by the regulatory um, fear that we sometimes see. And I think, you know, from a looking at it from a distance is that they're working on, some people are working on the fact that when it goes wrong, they've got to have, have all the paperwork to make themselves feel like they're covered. And I think what we were talking about and might, that might have been missed by a couple of people was that we're not taking anything away. What we're doing is adding something that's going to get you closer to what's really going on and some, some processes that are going to help you get closer with your workforce instead of ticking boxes and pencil whipping stuff that you're actually going to have better conversations with your teams at the front. And it's adding to the overall conversation. And I think that's what is going to change you're going to start saying well you know i've got all this compliance process i'm running at the background but i still don't know i'm, I'm slowly concentrating so much concentrating on that that i'm not working on that front line understanding what they're really doing every day and i think that's where you know the work you've done jeff and you know brent's been pushing it along as the four d's and the trojan mouse is really important in driving that forward because until you have those conversations, you don't get those, you don't get that understanding until you get that don't, well, if you don't get that understanding, you're unlikely to get any improvement. And, you know, as we're saying, learn and improve. If you don't learn something, you're not going to improve because you just don't know. You're just going to go back, fall back to your regulatory um, compliance model, which in all honesty, I don't think it helps anybody. You know, it's a, it's a fail. It's based on we're going to fail. And when we do fail, we've got enough 
paperwork we can smother them in it and i'm not sure that works for people in reality especially the humans involved in the system couldn't agree more Robo. couldn't agree more the you know and it could be a national thing bloody job <laughs> i can think back to when uh uh the laws the criminal laws in canada changed and uh criminal negligence causing death was a criminal charge that became applicable in workplace matters and at that time the the prevailing uh, uh advice was uh twofold if it's not written down it didn't happen quote unquote said by many in the safety and regulatory space uh, and then the other one was this need to defend and 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 basically cover one's ass and and those powers together have manifested over the years that I think that's what we were seeing is this notion to use as you're saying Robert use this paperwork to pull it out after the fact for a defense that's likely going to be very permeable and 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 not present the kind of due diligence that uh, you know in that bureaucratic sense people think it's going to um, deliver for them. So I think sh shifting the conversation, to proactive efforts to learn and improve, to to detect those things, to prevent those things, um, from even having that kind of regulatory scrutiny. But then I think the point that really needs to be emphasized is that should you pursue this, and should something still occur, the leap of faith I think, or the courage that folks are going to need is that to, sh and we had evidence of that in our workshops, that to show the regulator the extent to which we go to engage. Uh, to communicate with, to to learn from the front lines, to to be sensitive and adapt adaptive, and and really be alert to critical risk, residual risk, uh, I, I think, and dynamic risk. Uh, to be able to show that as evidence, even if the bad thing bad things happen, I think could prove to be more effective in in having the regulator believe that the organization really is trying. Uh, more so than pulling out all these tick and flick documents that 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 are just non-value add and useless. I, I hope organizations don't learn that the hard way in the coming years, because I think these are the times when those lessons are going to be learned. Well, it's interesting, Jeff, because I've had a couple of um, emails from some of the people from the Vancouver workshops wanting them, me to provide a bit more depth and detail about my conversation around risk management. Which really came as a surprise to me, because maybe it's a bit too obvious to me. That's the window you come in through. Most of the people in the conversation, though, this is the again, this is the especially in this jurisdiction we've been in, where for over a century, um, the the regulatory body has been both the insurance comp provider, the workers' comp insurance provider and the safety enforcement entity from on behalf of the government and so they have dominated the conversation in these parts for over 100 years and and people haven't come to this uh this topic through risk management or from other backgrounds they've come to it as learning how to do the the job of safety and that involves managing your lag stats um, and seeking compliance seeking to be able to show compliance and so okay. it's really the epitome of uh, of that, um, and, for, and, for me, and risk gets lost in all that. Yeah, because for for me, the the thing about learning teams for me, learning teams has always been about how do we strengthen those defenses and controls to provide better outcomes. You know, we're either trying to control the hazard releasing energy, 
or we're trying to influence that relationship between the hazard and the person when they're doing their normal work. So for me, a learning team has always been, how can we strengthen those, those controls? Because as we talk to them about, there's this gray space that exists between the risk that's left over and how people have to operate. So I think that's that learning opportunity. And, you know, and what I can see now, and I can see the look on people's faces, they've never really had a plan for that. And that's where the 4Ds, for instance, is a great plan. Wow, it's, it's one of the, one of the, what do you call it, a huge group of mice? Is it a pack of mice? Is it a, yeah, well, yeah, what, what are they? Are they a nest? Are they a buttload of mice? A colony? Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. We have to come up with a name. A hive of a mice. Hive. Is that what yeah. it is? Sounds gross. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't. That I, sounds like a hog. Yeah. A I think it's a plague. A plague, a plague of mice. A plague. I think, I think, um, well, that's got a bad, that's got a bad feel to it. Um, yeah. Sutton, I think you're spot on. I think that that's really, these couple days later, having time to to reflect, I think that's really the point that was trying to be made is that is that learning teams and learning from everyday work are pretty very good at at, at helping us see critical risks we we didn't previously know about residual risk we didn't really calculate on and and dynamic risk that emerges yeah. in complex systems and and most importantly we can do that proactively to to truly honor Todd's uh, provocative tagline pre-accident investigations you know um yeah the funny thing being the i word in that phrase but i think that's really it and i think that going am i a broken record going back to the limits of the regulatory paradigm they don't tell us we can't learn from everyday work they don't tell us we can't learn and improve from success no. they want us to to tickle out where these risks hide proactively they don't speak to anything uh they don't demand um, or limit what we can do proactively to to become aware of these risks. They just expect us to do it. And these are new proven ways to do it, what what ostensibly the regulatory system demands of us. So I don't know the the, the fear and the frustration and the 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 fact that the limit the regulator or the regulatory paradigm has caused organizations to be so afraid of 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 exploring these things that I think is pretty tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that stuck out to me in the room, um, guys was people when they, when we're talking to them and particularly uh, Brent and Jeff, you were talking to them, but the simplicity of some of it was, you know, when Brent talked about, it only goes wrong. There's four reasons for it to go wrong. Either the controls weren't present, you know, the four variations of that, the controls weren't adequate. Um, people had that aha moment. It's like, oh yeah, there are only four things, only four ways it can happen. And I think we've just got to keep prosecuting that discussion. And then, then you can find out via the four Ds and via learning teams when those when those things are more present at the, you know, and I keep coming back, don't, don't tick your paperwork because your paperwork's never going to get you there. You got to go and have that discussion with your teams at the very front line. They'll tell you once you build that trust up with them that they feel, I'm not going to use the other term for 
trust that the safety community has co-opted in the last two years because <laughs> it really bugs mm. me that phrase yeah friend. well yeah because look at it, it reminds me uh brent robinson i remember about two years ago i started mapping out um uh uh, how ISO thirty one thousand and and how I, how ISO forty five thousand and one relate across hop and learning teams. And when I reached out to a few people, I was sort of, I was sort of told to stop because it's sort of you know it's it's not really sort of needed or it's not really um, you know relative. But that's not what I heard in that room. Because the stuff I was talking about was just that. And I'm not saying that standards are the the be-all, end-all of anything. But ISO 31000 is about managing risk, any type of risk. And, and if we can see the power of learning teams outside of safety, how we've seen it in, in quality and other components, then, then we should also look at how we use learning teams around you know, risk management, whether it be, you know, financial risk, cybersecurity risk, enterprise risk. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's on my list now because it's just a mapping because ultimately it's just taking an intent and looking how learning teams would work in that area. I think that's totally valid uh, and needed, and I, I wonder if it's not needed because um, if if you come at this space from from that angle, then it, it's abundantly clear as it is to you. But if you if you come at this work through coursework or, or safety training or or, or, or um, you know post secondary programs in safety, it's just all about this ball that is the safety profession, and and what happens the majority of the time is that hazards are identified uh, from an office based assessment on paper, and risk is assessed in an office on paper using colorful matrices, and and controls are prescribed from in offices on paper, and and it's just been this bureaucratic game, I think, until this point. And the need to make it performance-based, the need to engage people who face the risk, the need to, to now transcend this management-only paradigm and move into operational sensitivity. Those things that could, those things that we could group together and call leadership and not be incorrect about throwing those words around. Um, we have enough of a management framework. We have enough of a legislative, legislative framework. Let's practice leadership by uh, getting out there, better interpersonal interaction and engagement, better sensitivity to work as it's actually done out there. I think this is the era we're moving into, uh, moving beyond a purely, you know, using the Cotter definition, purely a, a, an administrative management approach and, and one that is more dynamic and a leadership approach. Well, just, you know, th think about our, our uh, the last two weeks, we've had a very senior head of OSHA, um, Jim, at the Tampa conference. We had very senior person from the mining regulator. We've had some other people from the regulator being present in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And there is this willingness to learn. We're, never get, we're not going to change the laws. We're not gonna change legislation. We're not gonna change regulation, but there's absolutely this willingness to want to learn. 
And I think context and narrative, not only do we say it drives behavior, but I think context and narrative will help the regulator see the nature of risk that the organization is having to manage. And without that, they'll draw their own conclusions. I think the last thing I ever need or want to see is a regulation that says to employers, under these certain criteria, thou shall perform a learning team. Like, I hope to be, you know, long gone <laughs> by that comes around. But, but, but what they need to say now is we support learning. We're, you know, we, we, we encourage learning. And, and I guess what they can do to really facilitate that is not, not, you know, use people's well-intended contextual learnings, you know, against them. Um, as and again, Josh Bryant gave us a, an amazing example of that uh, in his in the video we watched. And I think that I, I just hope that people get from this that <clears throat> we start with safety because we want our people to get home, right? But as we go on that journey, we, we get improvements all the way along, from productivity to learning to knowledge, and we get different outputs. And I think that's where I I just see, you know, we've got plenty of examples now that we're starting to see that. And, and I'm really super excited by that part of it. That that, you know, that gets me going on this stuff. I I think we're never going to get rid of safety management systems because I think we need them, right? We need the framework that we need to operate within. And we need to we need to integrate some of these new um view items like 4Ds and learning teams and better questions into what we do. Yeah. We need you back. We need to do this again, friends. So the good news is they want us back. Uh, here to Vancouver. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's appetites. There's yeah. appetites. The, the the stage is open. I um, and need like like yeah. There's been smatterings of appetite over the years, not like this. And and there's been an even lesser sense, I think, of of need. And I and again, that's the point I tried to make that where we are as people on this point in the pandemic and, and our consciousness of system frailty and our interaction with systems. You know, one of the guys, one of the highlights in Florida for me was meeting Lauren Hochstein for the first time. And uh, his and he he his term surfing complexity. And and it just feels so incredibly true to me that that living now 2020 January 2023 and beyond it's new, it's tiring, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're just trying to surf complexity. It's not rigid, it's not fixed. It, you've got to feel it, you've got to be in flow with it. Um, and it just so aptly describes everything. That, he was, Eric obviously was a huge highlight. Um, uh, so many of the people were-, were oh, and, and seeing Todd in full Todd mode is always- Full Todd glory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how he holds the room. Twice. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. But look, none of this was possible without you, Jeff. Oh. oh, I mean, thank you. I yeah. thank you, boys. You are the connector of connectors, Jeff. Thank you, thank you, You're thank you, shoes. thank you. Um, you know, on a personal note, I've received feedback uh, in Florida and in Vancouver that 
I need to take a compliment better. And I'm really working on that. Um, I don't mean to, to not have gratitude. In fact, part of my reflection here coming off these two weeks is just how deeply and profoundly grateful I am. But when somebody says something kind about work or how I've contributed, I have a tendency to shake my head no and downplay it. And I and and it was pointed out to me. And what I think worked is that um, that can come across as as somehow ungrateful or or, or diminishing. And I, and I really don't want that. So what I've learned, just and what has been hammered home in the last thirty six hours, is when somebody says something kind, like you gentlemen have said to me a lot over these weeks, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for not just saying that and being so kind, but thank you for everything you've done for me and and um, and just for the movement over this last while. I think uh, I look forward to uh, an awesome 2023 with you, gents. Oh, mate, the, the, we've we've hit the round the ground running more than running. It's just like it's just going to take off. Um, so it's so great. And and by the way, when we when we say these things to you, we're not blowing smoke up your ass. And we're not saying it to get a compliment. We're saying it because we mean it. Bottom, Brad. Bottom. <laughs> um, and and you know, because because at the end of the day, uh, if if we don't have that courage to try things differently, remember that article I wrote a couple of years ago now about doing safety differently. Differently. If if we don't do safety differently, we're never going to move along. And and we have to push the boundaries constantly. Well, thank you, thank you. It's, uh, thank you. It's, it's wonderful coming. Here's here's one more. Something that was really overwhelming over this past two weeks has been this notion that that it's no longer safety differently, and and even safety too is a bit confusing or or new views. Um, these things all set it up to be something next, something extra, uh, and, and they confuse the issue. And the overwhelming sentiment I've sensed over these last two weeks is this is just how we got to do it in 2023 and beyond. There's science to back it up. There's methods to back it up. This is just safety in 2023. And, and the sooner people can get their heads around that, the better it is for their workforce. But, yeah. but it's definitely a time, I think, when those, really those differentiating terms from the pre-pandemic, safety two, safety differently, are, are, are really no longer beneficial. This is just really good modern safety. Welcome to Safety Differently Merchandise, the premium sponsor for the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Our curated lines of inspirational clothing, headwear, cups, stationery and more, at Safety Differently Merchandise, is befitting of your Safety Differently journey. I am Arthur Taylor, Chief Designer. I have spent decades on Savile Row, and honored to bring my talents, for all fine purveyors and devotees of. Hop. Learning Teams. Safety Differently. Safety 2. And the New View. Please visit the store and purchase our fine goods at safetydifferentlymerch.com. And now, back to the show.